Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway. And I'm Cameron Conway. And this podcast is a very personal look at personal finance in Canada. Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway, here with Cameron Conway. And today we wanted to address some misconceptions that I keep hearing about which account is better, the TFSA or the RRSP. And we thought that a good way to do it would be to kind of throw out some real life situations. So this is not advice. It's just ideas. We always recommend you talk to a qualified financial planner. But I think it's easier to kind of correlate some of these things to actual situations that people are going through rather than just saying, hey, here's a tax deduction if you do this or here's a deferral if you do this. I'm hoping that this will put a little bit of a twist on the standard of advice that you'll hear about an RSP or a TFSA. Yeah, we want to take that advice and we want to break it across uh, different age groups and life stages because the strategies you use will kind of vary as you kind of get older, get more established, or just either have more or less money to spend, or you might be hit with uh, different limitations of what you can do with your money. So hopefully you hear yourself in some of these examples and it can set you in the right direction. So let's start at the very beginning. Let's say you're just starting out and you're in a lower income than you think you'll be at another time in your career. Oh, I thought we were talking about being a baby. <laughs> no, is that, is that too, too close to the beginning? You know what? You have to be 18 for uh, a lot of these investments. So yes, we are not, we're past, past the bottles, past the diaper changes, past the learning how to drive. And now we are getting our first investment account. So I shouldn't be trusting my one-year-old or three-year-old to help me pick funds? You really should not. That is not a strategy that we use at Brown Financial, brownfinancial.com. Anyways, so let's say you are just starting out. We would make the assumption that you're probably in one of the lower income earning places that you'll be during your career, right? If you follow kind of a natural progression where over time your earnings and your wages will go up. You might still be in school, you might be working part-time, and there's a higher probability that you're going to need money in the future for a large purchase. So that could be something like buying a car, finishing paying off your degree, or buying a, a house or a condo or a townhouse one day. Or just buying textbooks or food. They are very expensive. All of the above. So when people are starting out, flexibility is usually one of the most important things. And by that, I mean flexibility for withdrawals. And that comes down to how easy it becomes to access your money. And if you're comparing an RSP versus a TFSA, there are some huge differences there. Yeah, you can think of the TFSA like a glass piggy bank and your RSP like a safe. That's actually not a bad analogy. If you're in an RSP, it's going to cost you something to take your money back out. And it's going to be added to your earned income for that year, whether that's regular earnings through a job or passive income or dividends or interest income. If you already have other investments that are generating those things outside of an RSP or TFSA. So that flexibility seems to be one of the most important things for younger people. And I mean, there are plans out there. There's the first home savings account for first-time home buyers. So there are provisions for different types of investments to allow certain withdrawals for targeted things. But overall, the ability to just kind of grab and go when you need some cash is not there with an RSP, but it is there with a TFSA. And TFSAs do this incredibly magical thing where if you do take all the money out, 
the next calendar year, the next January 1st, there's a great reset. And you suddenly get all of the contribution room that you had since the inception of this thing given back to you as a gift. So you have incredible flexibility and you have incredible accessibility to be able to get at these things when you need it. And I always tell people when they're saving for a short-term goal or even a mid-term goal that kind of fit in this just starting out category, the TFSAs are great because not only can you get the money, but you're going to get the tax free status that you would not get if you just did the savings in your regular bank account or in a high interest account at your bank or something along those lines. Because in that case, if that savings amount, let's say it's a down payment and it gets to be something more substantial, you can find yourself reporting interest income on your tax return every year that, you know what, you're still paying a bit of extra tax on. So save yourself the tax and use the TFSA with the idea that once you're done the project that you're working on, there will be this great reset and you will have the ability to use it again or use it for longer term goals. Yeah, to kind of follow up on that. So let's say theoretically you had $16,000 of contribution room that you have completely used up. That 16000 has grown to, let's just say, $20,000 because I'm feeling optimistic today. So you go and you take out that $20,000 and then you wait until January 1st of the next year. Then you've got that $16,000 of contribution room back plus whatever the annual increase was for the year. Well, that's right. And that is a good point as well. For TFSAs, as well as for RSPs, you're always getting the ability to do more each year that goes by. With a TFSA, it's automatic. It's just based on the status of your age, being here in Canada, um, meeting a few criteria that way, that would make you eligible to open one of these TFSA accounts that you can find out from pretty well any institution that offers them. Whereas with an RSP, you have to earn that. So you have to earn the contribution room by working and the contribution room that you earn is correlated to your wage. So in my mind, for people just starting out, especially if you think your income earnings are going to be higher at a later time in life, the TFSA can be the total package. No tax on growth, no tax on withdrawal. The only real negative in my mind is there's actually no tax back if you want to do a deposit. So like an RSP where you can get a refund, but when you think that through, if you're in that kind of lowest earning stage, the refund you would get back from an RSP will be the smallest refund because as your income grows, the amount you get back because our tax system is progressive becomes higher. So even though you could consider this to be a con, it's really not because it's just saving you getting it back in the year where it benefits you the least. Yeah, you can kind of think through the math that uh, would you rather have the growth in your TFSA or would you rather have that tax credit coming back through RRSP? This isn't always mutually exclusive. You'll probably have both going just so you can have that long-term growth kind of chugging away your RRSP in the background, but kind of your everyday account in the younger stages will most likely go towards the TFSA. Well, and for the people that kind of say start with your RSPs young for that tax deferral, keep in mind that deferral is exactly that. You do have to pay the piper, a.k.a. the tax man, a.k.a. the CRA, at some point in time. At some point, you will need the money out. There will be a withdrawal. It will eventually be taxable. So 
when you have the ability to step around that and have something that does not have tax on withdrawal like a TFSA, that can be hugely helpful. Like I said, especially if you're setting your own goals and in your goals there are other milestones, other things that cost money that you want to achieve that you do need a big chunk of capital for, that you do need to do some planning and some savings to get to. So let's move on a bit to midlife. And this is where doing a bit of a personal check with yourself will be really helpful uh, because this is when you would want to ask yourself with your job now, with where you are. What's the point of it all? I work so hard. Why? Crisis, nihilism, depression? No, or is that a whole different podcast? We'll save the existential crisis for another day. Uh, Today, we're just talking about whether or not there's potential for higher salary. If you see more career growth in your future, if you're going back to school or not, if you're retraining throwing the whole 10 years or 15 or 20 years out the window, starting all over again. Uh, So a higher salary to buy a sports car. I use that sports car to do a ride share. Wait, is this your uh, midlife crisis? Or, oh no, you're doing a ride share. I guess you're trying to be responsible. (laughs) Wait, why would you buy a new sports car just to do a ride share? To pay for the sports car. (laughs) Am I the only one seeing like like Mercedes and Beamers with Lyft and Uber stickers on it? This is what's happening. You know what? No judgment here. We don't judge you here at It's Personal Finance Canada. If you own a, (laughs) if you run an Uber and you own a Jaguar, good for you. Anyways, let's talk about your career progression and let's have you kind of look inwardly and see if there is more career growth ahead of you. If you think there is higher income potential, whether that's changing the company we are with, changing the industry that you're in, or just regular cost of living adjustments that some unions or some public sector, even private sector jobs will provide, right? So during the higher income years or even the highest income years, our RSPs have a really strong edge over TFSA for a few reasons. First off, this is really the first time that people start to get serious about their retirement savings because when those calendar years tick by, so now you're 30, suddenly you're 40, oh my goodness, 50 is around the corner you're really starting to think, okay, you know what? One day, my job, I don't want to be here forever. One day I'm going to- become (laughs) obsolete. To the marching drums of robotics and AI. Possibly, but you also just may not want to work there forever, right? Who does? Everybody wants kind of that great endless vacation that we call retirement. And the way to get that is through savings. And a lot of us are in a position where no one is doing the heavy lifting for us anymore in the way of group RSPs or pension plans. There are still pockets, like the municipal pension plan here in BC is usually very good. There are still some types of employment and some industry that will do a lot of that lifting for you. But for the most of us, we're kind of on our own. So midlife is kind of where people start looking at their investment account balances, start Googling, how much debt should I have at this age? How much savings should I have at this age? And start kind of giving themselves a little bit of that reality check. I I think the search is more, is it too late to start saving? (laughs) No, no, it's a comparison. It's how are my peers doing? How is everybody else doing? Am I behind? Am I ahead? How do I compare? If you have to ask, you are. Yeah, geez. But all of that aside, honestly, during your higher income years or even your highest income years, the RSP has an edge because of this tax play. When 
money goes into your RSP, you have the ability to get the tax back on your tax return. Now, that has a big star next to it, a big asterisk, because that tax back is dependent on you having regular employment that has already had withholding tax go to the CRA directly on your behalf. That's how you get it back. If you had a job or were self-employed where there was no withholding tax, There will be nothing coming back and you still could owe money even if you made an RSP contribution just because this is kind of like a return policy. You have given your future self some money through an RSP, through a tax-advantaged account, and now the government has said, hello, look how wonderful and benevolent we are, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, Here's some tax back. So where the RSPs really shine at this period of time is you still have a lot of room or time for this tax deferral to occur. So big advantage there. You might want to be using your TFSAs for something else if there's still room available in them. And this ability to get tax back if you're working regular employment can make the money go further than if you were just using a TFSA. So let me explain what that means and how this works. You have the unique ability to use your money twice. You use your actual investment and then you use the percentage of tax that you get back. And my goodness, if you put that back towards another goal or back into another savings account, especially another tax deferred account uh, like your RSP again, you get to use it twice. And this is a really, really, really strong advantage as long as you're kind of not squandering that refund and you're kind of saying, okay, this is to generate an extra edge for me. So it's not for a brand new TV? It's not for a down payment towards your sports car, no. Doesn't matter how shiny or red it is. It's not. Oh, no, mine's blue. (laughs) Oh, yours is blue? Note to everyone, we do not own any sports cars. I still drive a 2008 Toyota. I've got a minivan. (laughs) (laughs) We've got two kids and a dog. I had the minivan before the kids. (laughs) (laughs) That's just our reality check. But you know what? That's okay. They're very useful. They've come in handy in a pinch many, many, many times. So this is what I recommend to people. If you're kind of doing it yourself, there are a lot of websites out there that will combine your province's tax brackets with the federal tax brackets that we all have to pay because really tax owing comes in those two areas on your tax return. You're paying the province that you live in and you're paying the country through your federal tax. So what I like to look at or what I like to recommend people look at is how those combine. And you can see based on how much income you earn and how much higher you go in your wage, how much additional tax you're paying, which conversely means how much tax you would save or get back if you did an RSP deposit. Now, you can really see, I know when we do this in BC, there are very clear sweet spots where I will do calculations for some people every single year on how much they should put in their RSP to maximize one of these higher brackets, but not put in so much that they go below into a lower bracket where there's less benefit. We'd like to save their contribution room to maximize it by keeping it in these higher brackets where you get the highest amount of refund. So there's some really good strategy that can use there. I would like to just make a comment, though, also that if you are in a group RSP or if you are in any kind of pension plan, you're going to want to take a look at your notice of assessment and you're going to want to take a look at how much your employer is putting in on your behalf and how much you are putting in on your behalf, because those amounts will adjust what you have available. And if you're not sure, your MyCRA account or even your notice of assessment from the prior year can tell you how much RSP contribution room you have. And that's really helpful because that number is a number you 
do not want to go over because the CRA will penalize you if you do so. So let's look at the last life stage that we've defined here, which is the stage right before retirement. Now, this is the stage where people are seriously calculating where their retirement income sources are going to be coming from, because now they're having to, in their minds, take this big pool of money in their RSP or their TFSA or their non-registered accounts and convert it over to a monthly cash flow where there's going to be taxes, where there's going to be other factors like inflation eating away at it, and where there's going to be a need to have this sustaining you for a very long time in place of your job. So income sources that aren't like a reverse mortgage or the lottery or your kids or anything else like that? Predictable, sustainable, (laughs) yes, sources that will be there for you, you know, till the end of time or until your accounts run out, really, are what we're looking at here. So this is where people are kind of trying to strategically decide what their withdrawals during retirement are going to look like. And I say it that way because if you're someone who's got a lot of trips they want to take or they've got a lot of bucket list items that they want to do, that still really strongly speaks to having a high TFSA balance because during your retirement, if you've only got RSP or if you've really just gone all in with the RSPs and done nothing else, you've missed that ability to take out money tax-free without bumping yourself into the higher tax bracket. So because this whole thing is really just a tax play, we are wanting to make sure that you're not having to pay more tax as you're taking it out than you got when you put it in. And that's really at the crux of it, the whole argument for how you should run your RSP. Um, For some people that have used RSPs that want to use that money twice, that want to use that refund for investments, they'll put their refunds in their TFSA because they still do get that benefit of tax-free and building up that pool of cash that they can use for the trips, for the fun stuff, for the lifestyle, uh, or for those, you know, strata fees and special levies and adjustments and all the things that go wrong in life too, um, without necessarily changing the strategy for the RSP. Yeah, there's nothing like getting like a twenty or $30,000 uh, strata bill because the water pipes in your building let go. Well, that's it. And you don't want to have to then pay 40 or 50% tax because you're adding a big chunk from your RSP to your regular income for the year. And that can get into clawback situations with income-tested government benefits as well. So that's always something that you want to avoid. Well, exactly. That $20,000 special levy can end up costing you about $35,000 of your nest egg. Well, and that's the other thing that is important to mention. When you're tracking your RSP balances and your TFSA balances, you have to think of your RSP not as what the number is that you see, but you have to think of your RSP as net of taxes because there is a big tax bill on withdrawal that's waiting for you with any money you have in an RSP that's just not in your TFSA. So with your TFSA, you can take the balance at face value. But with your RSP, you have to reduce out what your average tax rate is going to be during your retirement or during whatever years you find yourself making withdrawals. Yeah, If you want to be like really, really conservative, just look at your RSP balance and think to yourself, I only get half of this. Oh, half would be if you're in the highest tax bracket. For most people, it's more like 30% tax. But I mean, that's speaking only in BC. I don't know. I mean, it's different for other provinces as well, right? Tax situation can be incredibly different in other places. So 
Yes, it's wonderful to see your RSP value grow quickly, but one of the reasons it grows quickly is because no tax has been paid on the money that's been accumulated. So like we said at the beginning, the piper has to be paid, the CRA has to be paid at the end of the day. So just keep that in your mind. The balance is not exactly as it appears. Okay, so we kind of did like a quick survey of these different life stages and when these different accounts make sense. Uh, let's just do a couple of like lightning round questions and let's get to some questions that we've either gotten ourselves or we've kind of seen. And uh, kind of the first question, which kind of caught us off guard is uh, which of these account types will give me the highest return? Yeah, this is one that I surprisingly hear quite a bit. And um, it, it makes me laugh. And it makes me laugh just because this is like a sales strategy from the banks. Most people, when TFSAs were launched, I don't think anyone really knew what to do with them. So the bank would say, hey, let's buy a GIC. Let's put it in there. So there are a lot of people that have this mentality that if I'm buying a TFSA, I'm buying a GIC. And I'm going to earn just a couple percentage points of interest, maybe a little bit more these days with interest rates where they are right now. But that there's not going to be a lot of growth. There's not going to be a lot of excitement in that particular investment. And a lot of people really truly believe that they can do better outside of a TFSA because they have this limited thinking about what they can hold in their account. Well, that's right. With TFSAs, it's not just GICs. You can also have mutual funds, SEG funds, ETFs, individual stocks, depending on which brokerage firm you use. But there is like a, a good option of things you can put in there. It is wide open. And there is an argument to putting the highest growth assets in your tax-free vehicles. Well, dependent on the goal that you're working on, of course, right? If it's short-term in nature, you're not going to put anything super aggressive in there because uh, you don't want to risk the downside. But if you're looking long-term and if you're thinking long-term, absolutely. Every, do your risk tolerance exercise and then take a look at what can grow the most and strategically put it in a place where on withdrawal, you're not going to be taxed and the whole way through, you're not going to be taxed. That makes a ton of sense to me. Okay, let's jump into another question. How about uh, what happens when you've reached your TFSA limit and you decide to play along, don't anger the CRA and you just hit your limit, whatever it is for your age at this point in time, what happens when you've run out of room to put into it. Sure. And I mean, this is kind of the biggest drawback to a TFSA. There's a limit to a good thing, right? And uh, the CRA will penalize you just like they will with an RSP if you go over what your available contribution room is. So there's an important note here. If you have TFSAs at more than one institution, you're going to have to track how much you have originally deposited in each account, not how much it's grown to because that doesn't matter, but the original deposits have to stay under your overall contribution limit. And if you have money going in and money going out, like we said, it does reset every tax year, but at the same time, you do need to be aware during that tax year that you're not going over. Yeah. So just have a good reason to have multiple TFSA accounts. You have different strategies, but yeah, you have to be very careful on tracking what you put into it and then just try and balance out the ins and outs that you don't go over whatever your threshold is. I think right now it's almost 90,000 if you got like the max age limit. Yeah. And no one's really going to do this for you. So just make sure that you're taking the initiative to do it for yourself. So if you were asking me, I would actually ask you a question. And I would say if you have a spouse or a common law partner and they have available room, is this money that you would treat as family money? So rather than my money and your money, is this both of our money collectively? And if you're confident that it will benefit both of you, using their room can be incredibly helpful as well. It doubles what you'll have available and that can really accelerate that pool of cash, especially for retirement years that you both have to share together. 
Yeah, and this sharing idea it also works with RSPs with the whole spousal RSP scheme, right? It does, yeah. RSPs and spousal RSPs are great. The only caveat with a spousal RSP is if you are the higher income earning spouse, then it is based on your contribution room, not your spouse's contribution room. So you have to make sure that you are making enough room. And in both cases, whether you're giving them a gift and contributing to the TFSA that way, or you're making a deposit into a spousal RSP, you do have to understand that that transfer materially becomes their property. It's their investment. They can invest it however they want according to their risk profile, not yours. So if your spouse is much more conservative and wants to take that strategy, you may be giving up some opportunity costs there in terms of rate of return that you could use, but you would have to weigh that against the tax implications, especially if you've got a lot of years to go before you're going to need this money. And I would say here as well, um, when we talk about going into retirement, people kind of view retirement as, oh, now I'm going to spend the money. And I kind of go, well, yes, you will, but you're only going to spend some of it every year. There can still be a really long 20, 30 year time horizon on retirement income money. And that's totally fine. It's just separating out what you need now, what you need in the next immediate two, three, four, five years versus what you need to grow so that that asset level stays higher for the rest of your life. And I always tell people a little bit like we said earlier, when you're thinking about RSP deposits earlier on, when you're in these planning stages and you're younger, I like to tell people to kind of do a little bit of an assessment either by themselves or with a financial planner where you work out what your tax bracket will be during retirement. Now, of course, this will never be guaranteed because the government can change them at their whim whenever they like, uh, both provincially and federally. But this is the information that we have now, so we can use it for planning purposes. And once you know ballpark what that withdrawal rate will look like, it can really help you make decisions around if that's more beneficial for you or not. Now, beyond that, let's say you've exhausted your TFSA, you don't have a spouse, or if you do, that is not an option for whatever the reason might be. Um, there's just non-registered accounts left. And a non-registered account, so think about this as a savings account that you have a bank or at a high interest savings account. Or non-registered really means anything that is not specifically registered. And the specifically registered accounts are the RSPs and the TFSAs, or the RESPs for education, or the RDSPs for disability savings. Yeah, it's anything that doesn't have any tax advantages created by the government, other little funds. It is just a core regular account that you can use for like she said, savings, high interest savings, mutual funds, seg funds, stocks, ETFs, a host of other things. This is just a standard, no thrills, no benefit fund that you can use to generate income with. Did you say no thrills or no frills? Mm, depends on your investment strategy. <laughs> do we want a little bit of both or do we want less of both in our lives? Depends on the year. <laughs> Very good comment. I like that. That's right. And if you are in a non-registered account and if you use a non-registered account for long-term in investing or for higher growth investing because you've done your risk profile and you're going to go a little bit more aggressive with this, just be aware of the tax implications every year, especially if you're in a position where you have income-tested government benefits. And that can take the form of, if you're raising kids, the ch uh, Canada Child Benefit. It can be something like guaranteed income supplement, like GST, like old age security. There's a whole host of them out there. If there's anything on your tax return that moves moves as your income changes, non-registered accounts have the ability to 
impact this. So you have to use them carefully in that situation. Yeah. And these benefits, it's for on the provincial side and it's on the federal side and they can be different. And you can't assume that the two of them will always work together. Like the governor of Nova Scotia got into a lot of flack pretty recently where uh, Canadian government raised the uh, benefit amount for people with disabilities. And then the province of Nova Scotia reduced their provincial grant towards people with disabilities. So essentially people ended up net zero because the province clawed back when the feds tried to push forward. So these are the kind of things you have to watch out with the kind of the federal versus provincial split of benefits. Are you implying that different levels of government don't speak to each other? They do not get along. <laughs> Are you implying that there can be implications for us as the general population if different levels of government don't speak to each other? Well, exactly. Just look at the strain between Quebec and the federal government and Alberta and the federal government and Ontario and the federal government <laughs> and Saskatchewan and the federal government. Oh, and now Manitoba and the federal government. <laughs> Which provinces are not on your list? Oh, you know what? At some point in history, they really all are. So let's just leave it at, yes, different levels of government do not always talk with each other. And you can't assume that they have your best interests working together. So again, important to know the rules, important to work with an accountant that can help or a planner that can help that knows the rules for you if it's not something that you want to geek out to on the weekend. Um, but there is information available out there and it is important to have that edge of understanding. Yeah. And kind of circling back to the non-registered account. So depending on what you're holding in that account, there's going to be many different types of tax you get hit with. You can be hit with capital gains. Uh, then there is taxes on dividends, which varies greatly between whether it's a Canadian company or a offshore company, even if it's American. So there's a lot of like tax planning strategy used depending on what is in your holdings. And then there's a the whole thing. Even if you say, oh, I have a mutual fund or I have a segregated fund the actions of the portfolio manager will impact your capital gains, even though you may not have taken a single dollar out of that account that year. That is a very good point. Things can be done outside of your control within managed funds at any point in time. So this can be a big negative surprise to people. If let's say a fund had a long-term holding that the fund manager decided for all their right reasons that it was good and right to sell, but you were a unit holder on December 31st at the end of the year and that gain flowed through to you, you might suddenly have your income adjusted because of this. Uh, same is true of his losses, but on the gain side, this is where it can really mess people up, like we said before, if you also have income-tested benefits. So non-registered accounts really are kind of that last resort. We do see people that have big ones, of course, because if you've maxed out, maxed out your TFSA, you've maxed out your RSP, there really truly is nowhere else to go um, unless you're investing in other types of things like real estate, like other asset classes. But if you're looking at managed accounts, if you're looking at this type of investment, this is kind of the limitation that we face. And it's also important to mention that if you have a spouse or common law partner and you have a non-registered account, the owner of that account matters. So if you own it individually, the tax implications will be yours because it will always flow through to the owner. If your spouse who has a lower income than you owns that account, they will have the tax implications at their lower tax bracket. If you have a joint account, it'll be split 50-50 based on your ownership status of the account. So joint usually means half is yours, half is mine. So there can be some strategy there. If you have 
a lower income earning spouse, or even if you are the lower income earning spouse, where if money is transferred into your hands, which again makes it yours, makes it your property, you have to pay tax on it, uh, given to you by your partner as a gift, then you have the ability to pay less taxes or have less overall surprises on your tax return because you've started off in a lower income bracket. Yeah, so I guess to kind of sum all this up is it's more complicated than you would realize, where it's not just I buy my fund, I buy my stock, I take out my money. There's all this other side plan you got to do, especially as you get right up to that retirement threshold where you're hoping to take your benefits because one thing in the wrong order could drastically alter what you get. Very true. And we always encourage people to talk to planners. Of course, we are planners ourselves over at Braun Financial, but um, it is important. Absolutely. And it can change what you have left over at the end. And I think really the whole idea is to maximize what you have, especially if you've worked so hard to accumulate it over all the years. We want to make sure that it's there for you and we want to make sure that you're keeping as much as possible and not just giving it away to the CRA or not losing something because of a deposit that you've made or going over a limit or doing something else that breaks a rule and then there's consequences to it. So that's how we saw RSPs and TFSAs and a little teeny little bit there about non-registered accounts as well, just by life stages. Because like I said, I think people often look at these types of account as if they're black and white and don't always kind of apply their own personal circumstances to the what, when and the where. And I think doing so can actually open up that conversation quite a bit. And I hope we were able to do that for you today. So as always, if you'd like to reach out to us, if you're in BC and you're looking for a financial planner, we are at Braun Financial, braunfinancial.com. Feel free to reach out to us on the Facebook page as well. It's Personal Finance Canada. You can find us there. And until next time, take care. And all the best. And don't spend all of your money on that sports car. No matter how blue and shiny it is. <laughs>